0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our death and our resurrection. Amen. This story is a great gospel text because it does such a wonderful job of showing a Jesus who is totally human. And completely in the moment. And who is totally holy. And totally beyond comprehension. It also does a great job of wading into the first pieces of grief. Often when we talk about grief, they talk about the the five steps of grief, but there's not really steps. It's kind of an enigma changing back and forth. But the first piece is generally this piece of bargaining, right? This piece that, you know, God, I'll go to church every Sunday if you just make grandma better. God, I'll give everything I have if you can just heal my wife. I'll do whatever. Sometimes we even bargain with the person, right? Can you live just long enough to go to the wedding, to see the baby born, to do this thing or that thing? We try and come up with these answers, these mile markers, these, these solutions that maybe we could please God enough. Maybe we could, we could change death's mind for just a moment that we wouldn't have to endure that pain. Grief is always loss. And it doesn't matter if someone is dying or if it's the loss of an experience or if it's the loss of time or space or safety. Even good things come with grief. The opportunity for a new job comes with grief of losing what we knew of losing our, our old experience, right? The safety that comes from doing the same thing and knowing that place, the fear of the unknown. That's part of our bargaining, right? That we, we, we don't know what will happen next. We don't know how to wander into this grief next. The disciples say to Jesus, You don't want to go to Jerusalem. Well, they literally just tried to stone you, buddy. Are you sure you want to go back there? Are you sure? And Jesus' is like, well, yeah. Yeah, my friends are there. I want to go to my friends. And what's the first thing that Mary and Martha do? Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. We made a deal. We're your friends. You're the son of God. We believe in you and now Lazarus is dead because you didn't take the time to show up. How often have we had that fight, that bargain in the midst of our loss? What is God doing in this place? Where is God in the midst of this chaos and frustration? In the midst of our pain and our suffering, if God was showing up, if God was doing what God was supposed to do, then good things would be happening. There would be cures and solutions. There would be healing. God, if you show up, you can make them better. I know you can. And it would be one thing if just Mary did it, right? Or it would be another thing if just Martha did it, but they both do it. They both come in their grief. But Jesus teaches us something about caring for grieving people in the midst of this passage. Something really deeply important. Something that we often overlook as well-to-do people in the world. Jesus does not say, God needed another flower for the garden of heaven. Jesus does not say, well, at least he's not sick anymore. Jesus doesn't say, it's okay, it'll get better with time. Jesus doesn't say any of that stuff at all. There are no platitudes, no words of comfort, no words of anything like that. Jesus sees their hurt, and the good news is he weeps with them joins them in that pain and suffering. He joins them in their grief. He doesn't stand back at arm's length and protect himself with empty words. He doesn't try and make it all better and kiss their boo-boos. There's no coddling to this. In fact, Jesus' prayer there at the end is almost subversive, right? I pray this, God, not so that you would listen to me because I know you listen to me, unlike these folks, right? Right? but so that they'll know that you listen to me because they need to know it, God. Jesus doesn't come with the tender, coddling sweetness of a southern bell at a funeral. He comes with a broken heart. He comes with a prayer that says, "Will you have a little faith, y'all. Will you strengthen yourself in knowing that I would not do this to you? I would not leave you here in the lurch. And that if I thought that Lazarus needed me here two days ago, I'd have showed up. Because what Jesus does time and time again in these gospel stories, the Jewish people, the ones who want to throw the rocks at him, point out so well, couldn't this Jesus who healed the blind man also have saved this man? Jesus always shows up. Jesus always shows up in the midst of our grief. But he doesn't take away the grief. He doesn't say, well that happened, but here have it again we'll give it back to you Jesus doesn't come into the bargains and start a long negotiation right Jesus doesn't say well okay I'll make grandma better for three days if you'll go to church two times and she can live for a month if you go to church for the next six weeks and if you go the rest of your life maybe we'll give you another year God, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus stands with those people in the midst of their grief. Jesus walks with them up the road to the tomb. Jesus stands at the tomb and prays with them. In the moment, with them. And so in our grief, when we are hurt, when we are suffering, when we have lost so much and so many, It might feel like God's not doing anything. It might feel like God just left us to hang out there. And if Jesus would show up already, we wouldn't have to go through COVID and war and death of our family and loved ones and all the other really cruddy things that we can't explain why happen in our world. But they still happen. We're still frustrated. We still try and convince Jesus to, to show up already. Save our brothers. Save our sisters. Save those who are hurting, those who have lost so much. Save those who are suffering. Certainly, if Jesus can make the blind to see and the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and can bring again Jesus, Lazarus from the dead, Jesus could show up and put this all back together. I am sure that someday Jesus will. But in the meantime, what I know is that Jesus walks beside us. What I know is that every grieving mother in the Ukraine who has lost a child through that war has God's presence sitting right next to her. I know that every nurse that has had to work too hard, every doctor who has labored day in and day out, every overstressed school teacher who's about to throw in the towel has made it through these last two years, through all of the loss and brokenness of the systems, because Christ is with them. Because Jesus loves them. And in those days when we cried because it was just too much, in those days when we tried to come up with whatever bargain it would take in order to get the world back together, Jesus stood with us and listened to us and cared for us. What I know is as we wander this life with its crooked little paths and all the turns that seem like blind, misleading spots, Jesus is with us. On Ash Wednesday, we talked about entering the gate, right? Taking that first step, about those moments when you remember that you are human, that you are mortal, that you are dust. We talked about how labyrinths don't have wrong turns, only surprises, and that it leads always to the same place. Grief does the same thing. We're starting on this path. We're walking it slowly. We might be trying to convince ourselves that we can do this. That whatever turn brings us, we will always know the right answer. That This is twisted and complicated and convoluted. That sometimes we'll know Jesus is right here. He'll stand on the road, embrace us, and hug us. In the midst of our grief, when it is too much, he will weep with us. And that we know Christ journeys alongside us. That somehow this path is pulling us more towards the center. More towards the acceptance of God's presence and healing in our lives. Sometimes it will feel as if we are further away as if maybe Jesus has ran up that path ahead of us and we can't catch on. What does Jesus tell us? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If there's going to be new life, if there's going to be hope, if there's going to be a chance for healing, it's going to come through Christ. Christ. And so Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and he prays that subversive prayer that I'm pretty sure would make me, at least if I was standing there, kind of want to punch him. Because I'm already frustrated and hurt and broken. And how dare you think that I don't have faith or that you have to pray something so that I'll believe in God, right? I called for you two days ago. And yet he stands there and he calls to Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come out. He calls Lazarus out of death and into new life. He calls him away from his own grief and loss and into a new way of living in a resurrected life. That's what this journey of Lent is all about. That's why we wander these crooked, twisted paths of our lives, that we might move from a life of death, where sin and brokenness and suffering have the final word, to a a life of resurrection, of new life, of hope, of liberation, where we are unbound and set free to love our neighbor, to weep with those who are weeping, to care for those who are hurting. In our funeral service, the prayer says, care for us in our grief so that we may comfort those who are in their own grief, right? We wander this journey so that even though we are hurt, even though we have experienced loss, we can be comforted by Christ And invite others to know this comfort. We walk this path because we know that Jesus frees the bound. Brings to life those who are asleep in death. And promises us that we can join in that new life too while we may have many other emotions and feelings and frustrations that we will talk about as we continue this journey, today we recognize that even though we bargain, even though we try and negotiate with God, God stands with us, God listens to us, God weeps with us, God embraces us so that we can do the same for others.